Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. Today, I'm going to be talking about five ways in which the fearful avoidant attachment style differs from the dismissive avoidant attachment style. I've received so many requests recently to create more content and resources around the fearful avoidant attachment style, which by the way, is also referred to as disorganized attachment. Um, So I'll be using those terms interchangeably for the purposes of this episode. And I'm not surprised that I've received so many requests because I think that it is the sometimes forgotten about attachment style. It is certainly lesser known than, you know, anxious attachment um, and avoidant attachment, dismissive avoidant. And I think it often gets lumped in under that umbrella of avoidant attachment when in reality there are lots of distinguishing features um, and it really is distinctive in many ways. Um, And, you know, that's important to recognize because it means that you know, the particular struggles of the fearful avoidant are different to that of the dismissive avoidant. And also the path to healing looks different, right? Um, Because, you know, you're triggered by different things. Uh, Your growth edges are going to look different. Um, The path forward is going to look a little different too. So even though there are some, you know, crossovers and overlap in the Venn diagram of fearful avoidant and dismissive avoidant, There's also lots of differences, and this episode is going to cover five of those. Before I dive in, I just want to remind you that I am holding a workshop in a couple of weeks, How to Navigate Anxious Avoidant Relationships. So this is going to be a 90-minute live masterclass, um, and to my earlier point, I will be covering both fearful and dismissive avoidant and acknowledging the differences there. Um, and, you know, tweaking the advice based on the specific combination you might find yourself in. Um, and it's really a, a great opportunity to, you know, come along whether you're single or in a relationship at the moment, but to understand your partner more and yourself more with a view to meeting in the middle. So no matter where you sit on the attachment spectrum, if you do notice aspects of this dynamic where one person leans more anxious and the other leans more avoidant, learning to navigate those differences and really accept each other, creating safety and building a more secure relationship and finding strategies to do that. So if you're interested in that, I would love to see you there and you can sign up in the show notes. Okay. So let's dive into five ways in which the fearful avoidant differs from the dismissive avoidant. And before I do this, I just want to emphasize, and I know I say this a lot and I probably sound like a broken record, but Neither of these are better or worse, right? Same is true for any of the insecure attachment styles. And I'm always, you know, minded to emphasize this, particularly in any discussion of, you know, avoidant attachment styles, uh, because I think that there is a tendency to villainize avoidant people as bad, um, wrong, or, you know, selfish, narcissistic, uncaring, all of these other things. And I think that that's you know, reductive and untrue and unfair and unhelpful. Um, So 
I just want to make abundantly clear that the comparisons that I'm going to offer today are not with a view to suggesting that one is better or worse. I'm really just acknowledging the differences in the experience. Um, And as I said, with a view to knowing where to focus your attention and your work in becoming more secure. Okay, with all of that out of the way, let's dive in. The first one that I want to speak to here is depth and emotional attunement. So I think the the typical image we have of an avoidant person is someone who's kind of out of touch with their emotions. And I think that in many cases that would be fair to say the dismissive avoidant has learned to get by in life by, you know, turning off the tap of their emotions, by becoming quite unemotional, uh, by being very logical, very rational, um, very high functioning, very competent, um, but not really delving into their emotional experience too much because, you know, for most dismissive avoidance, they had early experiences of either emotional neglect or, you know, being shamed or criticized or rejected by caregivers for being emotional or sensitive. And so they learn not to be as a a survival strategy, as a coping mechanism. The fearful avoidant, by contrast, tends to be very deep right? And very emotionally attuned to others. So a fearful avoidant, you know, will often be a very deep thinker, right? And, you know, quite philosophical, uh, bordering on existential in their search for meaning and purpose. Um, And, you know, they do tend to be very emotionally attuned to others. Again, in part as a survival strategy, because the fearful avoidant tends to have come from a more chaotic childhood environment where part of their staying safe required that they were very switched on uh, and monitoring the environment and the emotional states of others. So they share that in common uh, with some anxiously attached people, that level of being super clocked onto other people's emotional states. So that level of depth and emotional attunement is something that really does distinguish the fearful avoidant from the dismissive avoidant. The dismissive avoidant doesn't tend to pick up on subtle emotional cues. Uh, They also don't tend to, you know, agonize over things or overthink things. Um, They don't sense that something's wrong and and feel worried about that in the way that a fearful avoidant would. Um, They tend to be a bit more surface focused, whereas the fearful avoidant is very inwardly focused, focused on emotions, focused on, you know, their inner world. The second difference between the fearful avoidant and the dismissive avoidant that I want to speak to is that the fearful avoidant will often exhibit some of the people-pleasing and approval-seeking behaviors that are more typically associated with anxious attachment. So things like not voicing their needs, not setting boundaries for fear of rejection, kind of, you know, going with the flow even when they're not really comfortable. But the difference is that the fearful avoidant then, you know, overheats, becomes overwhelmed um, and kind of swings to the other extreme and, you know, clamps down really hard on their boundaries, slams the gates shut, so to speak, um, and can become very rigid, right? On the other hand, the dismissive avoidant will usually be pretty rigid from the outset. And I would even go so far as to say self-centered, not in a pejorative sense, but just in a descriptive sense. Um, So the dismissive avoidant is pretty firm in 
being comfortable prioritizing themselves and their own needs and their own preferences, they're not as likely to be flexible around that. Um, they can have very rigid expectations of, of their partner and what they expect a relationship to look like. Um, so their boundaries tend to be rigid from the outset, whereas the fearful avoidant can start you know, a little more wobbly with their boundaries and, and a little more self-abandoning in order to be liked and to make other people happy. But then they do become overwhelmed and they can, you know, swing the other way. The third one I want to speak to here is trust, betrayal, and hypervigilance. So I already mentioned the hypervigilance in the context of, you know, that emotional attunement, but the fearful avoidant really, really struggles with trusting other people. Um, and that is because they do have a deep fear of betrayal. Again, for many fearful avoidance, this stems from, you know, the origin story of that attachment style for a lot of people is that, you know, their, their childhood environment was chaotic and their caregivers were sometimes safe and sometimes not safe. That can look like a lot of different things and can be very extreme or less extreme, but there is this story that the people I love most are not always safe. And so I fear that, you know, to trust those people, I have to remain guarded because I don't know that it's not a trick or that they're not going to hurt me, betray me, you know, turn around, I'm going to be caught off guard. Uh, so I really still have to, you know, keep my wits about me, particularly when people get close, because that's an extremely vulnerable position for me to be in. Uh, and I need to keep myself safe from that possibility of betrayal. The dismissive avoidant doesn't tend to struggle with this so much. You know, there could be a lot of reasons for that. I sort of feel as though the dismissive avoidant you know, again, they don't tend to be super emotionally invested in their relationships. They tend not to worry about their relationships. Um, they tend not to overthink things and hypothesize and, um, you know, wonder about how much their partner really loves them. Like it, it just doesn't cause them that emotional angst and distress in the same way that it does for other insecure attachment styles. And so they are less likely to you know, experience that fear. Uh, where the the trust thing might come up is, you know, to the earlier point around boundaries and expectations, they might have quite strict rules around things like trust and fidelity, uh, but it's not so much coming from this fear of, you know, being betrayed and hurt in the same sort of emotionally intense way that the fearful avoidant experiences it, or even the anxiously attached person. Okay. The next one that I want to speak to here is guilt and shame. So the fearful avoidant experiences a lot of guilt and shame. This is really a defining feature of the fearful avoidant attachment style. Another way of thinking about this is almost that the fearful avoidant blames themselves, whereas the dismissive avoidant is more likely to blame others for when things go wrong. The fearful avoidant, you know, feels like they are broken and that they are bad and that they, you know, there is something wrong with them. And they feel this so deeply. They feel this inner chaos so deeply and they really care very much. But, you know, when push comes to shove, they get scared and 
you know, they, they might run away or they might, you know, sabotage the relationship. They might distance themselves and they feel immensely guilty about that because they can see how much they're hurting their partner, right? Again, because they're so emotionally attuned, like they see the pain that they're causing with their behavior, but ultimately their need for safety trumps that. Um, and so they feel a lot of shame and guilt around themselves. And that kind of almost reinforces the story of, you know, there's something wrong with me that I'm better off alone because when I get into relationships, it all just becomes so overwhelming and out of control. And then I hurt people and then they're upset with me. And it's better if I just avoid it altogether. The dismissive avoidant, you know, part of their survival strategy is like almost this inflated sense of self-esteem and this feeling of like, I'm fine, I'm all good. To the extent there are issues in my relationship, it's because others are emotionally, you know, almost like unhinged, like you're so needy and like emotional and crazy and why can't you just be self-sufficient and independent the way that I am, right? Like that's their operating system. And so to the extent that there is conflict or, you know, arguments or, you know, their partner needs something from them, the dismissive avoidant is so threatened by that kind of behavior because they've never really learned how to experience healthy interdependency with other people that, you know, rather than meeting their own discomfort with that experience, they'll often, you know, project out that it's unreasonable to want that. Uh, and that, you know, if you want that, maybe this isn't worth doing because I think we just want different things and they'll create the distance there and blame, you know, their partner or their ex or whoever, uh, for being, you know, being too much, being too needy. And that's why the relationship didn't work. Right. They don't tend to take a lot of responsibility and they don't tend to feel much guilt around, you know, whatever the dynamic of their relationship is, they are pretty anchored in the story that it's not them. They're not the problem, uh, that they're not the one causing trouble. It's their partner always wanting more and being upset and creating issues. Okay. The last one that I want to speak to here is that the fearful avoider will usually be much more open to, and often will seek out for themselves, like self-improvement, personal development kind of work. This kind of ties into what I was just speaking about that, you know, the fearful avoidant feels quite broken a lot of the time. They feel confused by their experience. They feel, you know, this inner chaos. And so they're, they're often like seekers, right? They just, they need to figure it out and they want to stop feeling so lost. And so they'll often try lots and lots of different things, um, whether that's, you know, seeking out different types of therapy or different, um, you know, healing modalities or, you know, health optimization stuff, just ways to feel better, um, in the hope that it's going to resolve their emotional pain. Um, by contrast, the dismissive avoidant is more likely to dismiss things like that, like therapy or other personal development work as, you know, not of interest to them. Maybe it's a waste of time. Um, you know, maybe it's all garbage, you know, they, 
they're not likely to engage in that stuff because we have to remember their survival strategy, the way they've created safety for themselves is by equating emotions with weakness. And that's usually a belief system that got passed on to them by their parents um, that, you know, vulnerability is unsafe, emotions are weak. Uh, so why would I want to willingly like put myself in a situation where I'd have to open Pandora's box there when my whole survival strategy has been around keeping that box like under lock and key my entire life, right? So their response to the idea of personal development and self-improvement work is usually to be quite uninterested, dismissive, and even, um, you know, sort of critical or judgmental of it. Um, and of people who do it as, you know, that it is like a waste of time or woo-woo or whatever else. Okay, so those were the five differences between the fearful avoidant and the dismissive avoidant. Just to recap, the first one was depth and emotional attunement. So the fearful avoidance, usually very deep thinker and very emotionally attuned. Boundaries. So the fearful avoidant tends to be boundaryless and then have very rigid boundaries once they get overwhelmed. So they swing between extremes there, whereas the dismissive avoidant has pretty uh, consistently rigid boundaries. The fearful avoidant struggles with trust and a fear of betrayal and sort of relatedly is quite hypervigilant. Fearful avoidant really experiences a lot of guilt and shame and blames themselves and thinks that they are broken when it comes to relationships um, and that the fearful avoidant will be much more open to and inclined towards, you know, trying to fix themselves with personal development and self-improvement work. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned a lot from it. Um, if you did enjoy it, I'd really appreciate so much if you could leave a quick review. It only takes you know, 30 seconds and it makes a world of difference for me in getting the word out. But otherwise, I really look forward to seeing you again next week um, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here, and I hope to see you again soon.